Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Let's Get Growing. I'm Gary Folio, your host, along with Bob Dodds from the Lee County Extension Office. And uh, how high is the snow, Bob? Well, <laughs> you know, I had a chance to... We had these winter, wintry temperatures last uh, week. We so. did. And in fact, I talked to some people up in the Mason City area, and they've gotten down to 27, oh 28 my. degrees. And, yeah. and uh, up in the Dubuque uh, area, they saw some frost and and in some of the low areas. And so it was pretty cool. And I think we even broke some records from what well, I'm you hearing. you know, when I say I, I like hot weather, and I said that in the spring like I do every mm-hmm. year. And so mm-hmm. now it's been like 115 for, right. you know, 60 days. And you always say you like it cool where you're I getting do. your wish now. I do. And it's been, I enjoyed it. I have to tell <laughs> you the truth. Um, it's a year of extremes. We, yes. We've been talking about that all summer and all growing season, Gary. But 14 inches plus in right. June... You know, in right. some places, almost no rain in July or August. Right now, we go from a hundred hundred degrees, <laughs> over a hundred degrees for quite to a few days 38, to thirty-nine degree Exactly, isn't it amazing? It's what amazing. a year! Of course, seventy-five and eighty degrees is okay in October. It is. We, we can be yeah. there. We can this be is fine. great football weather for for everything. And speaking of football, uh oh, uh, I could be in big trouble in Keokuk. I better be careful. You know, I if I were you, I'd just kind of, you know... <laughs> it was a pretty good game. What it was like 18 and 2 or something I know. like that. I um, know. I'm going to pat. Well, I won't get into too much trouble. I will just say... There is a package out front for you, okay. though. But <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty exciting game. No matter which side you were on, it was a pretty exciting game last weekend. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. I think um, we should do the show. I think we better. I, I could be in big trouble with the purple down here in oh, Keokuk, that's man. for sure. Yeah, That hurts. I understand. Yeah, I understand. Hey, a couple of really good questions this last week, but I see we're already over our time. So Are I'm going to hold that thought. Am I? Is it? Do we have one no, more minute? Oh, no, good, good. See, I'm, so sh- I'm just so nervous about all these packages and everything. And, <laughs> but anyway. It wasn't um, ticking when I picked it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the red car out front is still safe, I hope. <laughs> um, anyway, what I was going to say is that uh, quite a few good questions this week. And one of those questions was about feeding hummingbirds and how long that we should leave the feeders up. And we would like to take those down by the 1st of October. Uh, and let them leave. Although, if you want to leave one up, we still may have a few hummingbirds that are wandering around and slow to leave Lee County for the south. Um, but October 1 is a good time to take down the, the feeders. Yep, I think they're pretty well clearing out. I think so, quick. too. But anyway, we'll uh, be back in a moment with Let's Get Growing. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Each Saturday morning, we'll be right back. In order to keep the home fires burning, you're going to need some firewood. And joining me is Paul Ray from ISU. Now, Paul, what's the best kind of wood to use as firewood? Well, if you're buying firewood, you want to buy the dense woods, which would be oak and hickory and, and hard maple. Uh, the less dense woods, such as cottonwood and pine and basswood, just weigh less per piece. Otherwise, there's no difference in wood. A pound of oak is just as good as, is not any better than a pound of, of cottonwood in terms of the heat value. We're just talking about a difference in density. So if you're buying it, buy the dense woods. Okay, now if you're buying, you should buy in your area, right? Yeah, if you're buying, I think you need to buy within the state. Uh, and that's to prevent the potential introduction of uh, the emerald ash bo- uh, borer, which is 
if it gets here, it's going to destroy our ashes totally. And of course, mm -hmm. ash is a great firewood, so we don't want that to happen. Okay. Now, if you're going to chop down your own firewood, any special tips? Well, safety always, because it, it's, it's a hazardous thing, because you're, you're offering your operating equipment, chainsaws and wood splitters and, and stuff like that. So you need to be very, very safe. Other than that, you need to plan ahead if you're going to burn firewood, because to have dry firewood, you need to plan a year ahead of time. So you need to cut it, uh, split it to the size you want, get it stacked up, and then let it sit for a year before you begin to burn it. Because if you don't, you're going to get less heat from it, and you have the potential problems of, of creosote in your stove and some hazards there as well. Okay. And do you need to um, keep it covered? No, I don't think so. I think if you have it out in the open, you don't need to keep it covered. Although, once you start to burn in the fall, you probably want to keep it covered to keep the snow off of it. All right, thanks for the tips. And if you would like more information on firewood, be sure to log on to GardeningInTheZone.com. I'm Liz Gelman. Armstrong Small Engine and Donaldson brings you this important message from SEF, a division of VP Racing Fuels. Avoid ethanol in your two-cycle engines whenever possible. Armstrong Small Engine wants you to know that alternative fuels like E20 and E85 can void some manufacturers' warranties. Ethanol attracts moisture into your engine. This can cause poor performance and premature deterioration of your gaskets, fuel lines, and carburetor. With SEF, small engine fuels, you can avoid ethanol-related issues. SEF offers pre-mixed fuels for two-cycle engines. SEF offers 94-octane, 50-to-1 mix ratio, and zero ethanol. Pre-mixed means you open, pour, and go. SEF also takes the worry out of long-term storage with a two-year shelf life in the can or in the machine. Learn more about SEF, a division of VP Racing Fuels, and their two- and four-cycle engine fuels at Armstrong Small Engine, two miles north of Donaldson on Highway 218. SEF is for use in small engines only, not approved for on-the-road use. This is Annie Haynes with a Garden Calendar Minute. Do you still have a poinsettia from last year? Do you want to force them into bloom again for Christmas? Beware, the process is a bit tricky, but highly rewarding. Poinsettias are short-day plants. This means that they need short-day period and a long night period every day to fool the plants into blooming. In early October, healthy poinsettia plants are placed under a cardboard box or in a dark closet from about 5 to 6 p.m. each evening until about 8 a.m. the next morning. Then the plants are placed in a sunny window to photosynthesize during the day. Every day for approximately two months, the poinsettias will require transfer from dark to light and back again. When the color begins to appear, your work is done. The plant has been tricked into bloom and the process will continue even when the plants are kept near a window 24-7. Good luck. For Iowa State University Horticulture Extension, I'm Cindy Haynes. And we're back with Let's Get Growing. Uh, had a real nice weekend. Uh, my son's birthday was uh -huh. the 14th of uh, September, last yeah. Wednesday. And, yep. and so Sunday, we're going uh, tomorrow, we're going horseback riding. Oh, that's wonderful. We're, yeah. we're, I'm going mule riding. You're going to ride big, a mule. I'm a that's big great. for horses, I think. I, I think mules are great. They kind of look at me like they should be riding me. Oh, <laughs> I tell you, I heard this on the radio. Oh, you did? About your son, yeah. Dominic's birthday. I 11. thought that was 11 years old. That's right. Yeah. Great. Excellent. So wow. He's doing for well him. and having a, having a ball. Did he have a good birthday? Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll finish everything up later on today. Okay, good. And uh, then we'll do a little horseback riding on Sunday. That was one of his requests. Well, so that sounds great. Go out through Shimmick Forest. We'll have a good time. Good, good. Excellent. Good, good. Sounds fun. Hummingbird. How about Hummingbirds. Orioles? 
Baltimore Orioles, we can do that too. But yeah. hummingbirds are the ones that I wanted to right. talk about. So we wanted to talk just for a couple minutes about them leaving, and we already spoke about that. But hummingbirds, I've seen a few at our back back porch, and it's just fascinating to watch them um, get ready to leave. I think they've added a lot to their they're just you can just keep feeding these feeders and filling and filling right. and there's no question they're getting ready to leave but um, they're really a lot of fun to watch and um, and so I think they're doing well the numbers and again uh, people ask us often about how many uh, we can expect to see in a, in a season we usually have about one to two broods um, their size about three to three and a half inches we find them all across the state of Iowa uh, the female is the same as the male, except it lacks that throat patch that we're so used to seeing on the, mm-hmm. on the breast. And so that's one of the questions people often ask us. Are there differences in, or I mean, are there different kinds of hummingbirds? And the one that we see here most of the time is what we call the ruby-throated hummingbird. Right. No other birds is small. And um, sometimes we mistakenly th- think of the sphinx moth. Uh, look looks somewhat similar to the hummingbird, but they have clear leg or wings and a mouth part that looks like straw, which coils up when not at flower, and they move much slower than hummingbirds. And so that's the best way to tell the difference between the sphinx moth and, and the hummingbird. The female hummingbird smaller than a male. It is. It truly is. And again, it m- is missing that bright color. Right. Um, and so that's how you can really tell them, tell the difference. Um, I wanted to back up for a few minutes and uh, talk a little bit about uh, planting flower bulbs. This is a great time to talk about that. This is the best time to do some planting with tulips and daffodils. October, um, we're right. kind of a little bit ahead here. We do have some pretty dry soil conditions, so you may want to do some watering before you do some planting just to make the soil a little easier to work with. And also don't forget about the mulch. That's very, very right. important. I get laughing to myself there, but some of the cracks that are. <laughs> oh my goodness! You don't even have to. You can you just put them in the ground, you can put right? Put the bulbs right in some of the cracks. Exactly, exactly. We often are asked about spring planting flower bulbs. You want to plant them at a depth that's equal to about three to four times their maximum di- bulb diameter. That's kind of a good rule of thumb to use. Tulips and daffodils should be planted about six to eight inches deep. Crocuses, grape hyacinths, only about three to four inches deep. And large bulbs, such as tulips and daffodils, should be about spaced about four to six inches apart. And we're talking about crocuses, grape hyacinths, and other small bulbs. We'll only plant those about three inches apart and, and not, not, quite, uh, not as quite as far away or the, the smaller distance. Um, we would want to uh, spring... Flowering bulbs, plant them in clusters or groups to achieve the greatest impact. And we've talked a lot about that over the years. Uh, when planting uh, daffodils and tulips, plant 10 or more bulbs of the same variety in an area. And the smaller growing plants, such as hyacinths and crocuses, we want to plant those in clusters of 50 or more. Uh, suitable planting sites, tulips and daffodils and hyacinth and grape hyacinths, Crocuses perform best in locations that receive at least six to six hours of direct sunlight. Uh, again, tulips and daffodils are most, and most other spring flowering bulbs require well-drained soils. And keep in mind, we want to protect the squirrels. A lot of times, we can almost use some some chicken wire to kind of build a barrier around those bulbs. Uh, some like to just plant a few extra bulbs 
But once, if you do have problems with, with uh, especially squirrels, digging them up, I, I really like to use some of that uh, wire. Chicken wire works really idea. well. I planted uh, uh, the flowers in this one area. That's uh, I have them on both sides of my sidewalk, so I want them evenly done. And every time I, I do that, they dig them up. Uh, it just on the one side. It is side to leave alone. It's amazing, you know. Either concrete or something might might uh, keep them from digging. But I, I've really almost we've just come to the point where we just use um, either some steel as a barrier or use uh, uh, again use chicken wire. It's right. just a great great way to stop some of that. Are there any spring flowering bulbs that rabbits? This is a common question that rabbits and deer prefer not to eat. And I would just add that rabbits and deer are quite fond of tulips and crocuses. However, they seldom bother daffodils, hyacinths, uh, grape hyacinths, um, and the ornamental onions. But um, there are exceptions to all as well. I would just simply say that. But, they can um, be pesky. They sure can. I wanted to remind everyone that we will be uh, doing Operation Relief, as I mentioned uh, before. Uh, again, if you are interested in planting some trees this year, this fall yet, I would encourage you to give us a call at the uh, Henry County Extension Office. We'll be doing that in Mount Pleasant this time. Usually we're in Keokuk or Fort Madison, but this time we'll go up to Henry and then back to Keokuk uh, this coming spring. But uh, that phone number is 319-385-8126. And you're more than welcome, if you're from Lee County or surrounding areas, you're more than welcome to join us up on the old Trashers grounds because we'll be doing that in um, the middle of October, I think, around Last the 18th. Last year we had them in Des Moines County, though, didn't we? We did um, okay. in the fall, and then back to Lee County, or Fort Madison, we did that, that the spring, Gary. And we'll be back to Keokuk probably next year, is, uh, next spring is what I hope for. Um, but we, it's great to kind of move it around a little bit, and everyone drives a little bit further sometimes and not quite as far the next time. Right. We've had great sign-up for Shimmick Forestry Field Day. And again, that's on October 4th. That's a Tuesday. This year we'll be meeting in Donaldson at about 7.30. That's when registration will begin, 8 o'clock for the program. And uh, at about 9.30, everyone's asked me, we're going to have a presentation using a PowerPoint. That's the only reason that we're meeting in Donaldson at the Pilot Grove Savings Bank Community Room. But... Uh, 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 Paul Talkey, who's head of the Iowa DNR Forestry, is going to talk a little bit about the Conservation Reserve Program. Um, and uh, about 9.30, then we'll move on out to Shimmick Forest for the regular program and be out there for the rest of the day until about 3.30. We're very fortunate this year. We have a grant, and usually the cost to attend the Shimmick Forestry Field Day is $15. And this year we have a grant, and we can pay for the first 150 people that sign up. So if you haven't called the Lee County Extension Office, I would really encourage you to do that. Our phone number is 319-835-5116. We do have a toll-free number as well, and I'll let Gary give that to you later on in the program. But um, uh, please do, or send me an email if you wish. And uh, you're more than, we'd love to have you attend. And again, uh, this year uh, we do have a grant to take care of registration fees. I'm really excited about it. I think we're going to have some fun things to talk about. We're going to talk about um, we're going to talk a little bit about oaks a lot this year. We're going to talk about some disease and insect um, problems. We'll talk about what timber prices are doing. We're going to show some new equipment. Uh, Armstrong 
uh, small engine always shows, always helps us by providing some equipment to demonstrate, and we really appreciate it. Um, while we're talking, with, with go ahead, Gary. Dry weather and, and things like that, uh, of course, some of the ponds have lost quite a bit of, ah. of their uh, water. Mm-hmm. And uh, how does that affect um, the uh, foliage and everything that is in, in water? The plants and plants and things. Well, we it definitely has an impact on the oxygen because of the water. It looks to me like the uh, lily pads and all that mm. in the river are doing very well. They are. Yep. Yep. And is that you know happening what? because of dry weather? Or, or it can. What's really interesting about all of that is a lot of those nutrients that really causes them to grow, the nitrogen, the phosphorus, and the potash, as the water evaporates, it becomes much more um, concentrated. In other words, we don't lose those minerals um, that cause plants to grow and do well, and so they become more concentrated, and the plants that are present grow a little faster. And then also, uh, some people say our climate might be changing, and right. we're having more carbon dioxide which causes plants to do really well. We'll have to hold that thought, and we'll be back in a moment with uh, after a word from our sponsors. Today at Ryman Gardens, we're going to learn how to call owls, and who better to tell us more about owls than Jim Pease from ISU. Now, Jim, why are these owls good to have around? Well, they're sort of the, uh, the night watchmen in your gardens uh, with uh, hooked beaks and uh, very sharp talons. Uh, they keep away the critters that would otherwise eat your plants. Okay. Now, what type of owls do we usually see here? Well, we have, we have three different uh, types that are common in the Midwest. Uh, this little one that my friend Lauren from the uh, Wildlife Care Clinic has brought along uh, is uh, the screech owl. It's the smallest of the three. There's a medium-sized one, um, about twice the size of this, uh, called the barred owl, B-A-R-R-E-D. And then the largest, uh, and really the tiger of the woodlands here, is called the great horned owl. Hmm. Now, how do they sound? I mean, well, not that I give a hoot, you know. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Well, you might say these are very talented birds. We'll get <laughs> two puns in a row yes, there. Yes. Uh, there are different kinds of calls, and, and the screech owl, you might hear, the most common call you would hear is a sort of descending tremolo. It goes. The barred owl says, Who cooks for you? Or in the south, it says, Who cooks for y'all? Uh, it goes. And the large great horned owl says, I'm a great horned owl, aren't you? <laughs> now, should we be alarmed if we hear the sound? Are we going to be uh, the next uh, victim? Not unless you're a rodent, a rabbit, <laughs> or uh, something else, uh, maybe a skunk in the case of the great horned owl. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the sounds. And if you would like more information on owls, be sure to log on to GardeningInTheZone.com. I'm Liz Gelman. Oops, we broke the recorder. Paul will be back next week, but he wants you to know that now is the perfect time to replace that lawn that our hot, dry summer took a bite out of. Gate City Seed has the best selection at unbeatable bulk prices of our area's lawn grass seeds, and they lend seeders free. Come to Gate City Seed, 824 Main Street in Keokuk. KSB Insurance is your hometown trusted choice insurance agency dedicated to meeting all of your personal and business insurance needs. 
Give us a call or stop in at our Keokuk or Burlington location and let one of our friendly agents work with you to save some green on your insurance. KSB Insurance, protecting what matters to you. Welcome back to Let's Get Growing. We kind of uh, broke away there uh, talking a little bit about the lily pads in the Mississippi, and I know that's on the minds of a lot of boaters and, and fishermen mm-hmm. and and uh, duck hunters and, and people that enjoy the river or just driving uh, our scenic uh, our byways. You know, uh, exactly. we notice we notice more and more of the of the uh, lily pads and that's right filling in. Yeah. And, and we were kind of talking at break a little bit about how that happens and mm-hmm. the, the breakdown of it. You know, it's um, Gary, like you mentioned at break. A lot of the weeds that we find, I I should just say plant material, I don't want to call them a weed. Um, Some people would say that a weed is simply a plant that we haven't figured out a use for yet. (laughs) And so, and then others say, well, it's a plant that's out of its right, out of its location. But, but uh, the truth of it is weeds, we have lots of different kinds of plants and the reason we have more can be due to the type of plant that we have. We have what we call annuals, which and we've talked a lot about this in terms of bluegrass, but it's also true of plants that we have in our ponds. We have some plants that are annuals or weeds that grow and complete their life cycle in one year. And what that means is they come up from a seed, um, become mature, produce more seeds, and that completes the year's cycle. Some of them are what we refer, refer to as biannual, and probably what most people are used to talking, thinking about when they think of biannuals is, is thistles. Those are very right. common, where the first year they're in a vegetative stage, they go dormant in the fall, and then they come back the next spring as, to complete their life cycle by shooting up that pretty flower, or what we call bolting. Right. And they go into, um, uh, and, and then, they, then they produce seeds. The first year is kind of called the rosette stage, and then the second year is that they finish out their life cycle. But we also have some bi- biannual weeds that we'll find in ponds as well. And then we have the perennials, which continue on, and we often think of perennials as plants in our flower beds that we don't have to plant every year. Well, right. we have some weeds that fit that category, and they also we find them in our ponds, and so... Um, once they get established, they just keep coming back and coming back, and then they also reproduce by vegetative means, either shooting out runners, or they also produce seed. And, of course, if we have them established, we get those plants back plus the new plants, and so pretty soon it seems like they're just taking over the pond. Exactly, exactly. We have a really nice book. I I, I wanted to mention this. We, We have a very nice book. It's called Weed Identification Field Guide. There is a charge with this book. But it is extremely good. And it talks about what we just mentioned. We talked about, you know, the different life cycles, annuals, right. biannuals, perennials. It also talks about factors to consider when you're selecting herbicides, whether they're soil applied, whether they're pre-emergence, whether they're post-emergence herbicides. It talks a little bit, too, about how to read the label. It talks a little bit about weed tolerance and resistance, but it's an excellent book. And we just finished doing this book, and it's called The Weed Identification Guide by Iowa State University. I was looking for a publication. It is called CSI 3003. Uh, Handy little pocket book. Very nice. Spiral bound. Very nice. And it goes through a lot of the common weeds and t- shows you uh, how to identify those weeds, both by leaves, by seeds. 
that gives you some very nice color pictures of each of those and then a very nice write-up. And um, I just think it's just an excellent book. It breaks it down by broadleaves and grasses. And, I, you know, grasses can really be a challenge to identify. We're always looking at the leaf, the sheath of the leaf, whether it's got hair or non-hair, whether it's a, a nuts, whether it's a sedge. But it just does a really nice job in keeping it very kind of step-by-step step how to identify a weed. And we know... I recognize most of them. <laughs> they're in my lawn, I think. Yes. But in, anyway, I, I like this, this book. This is the enemy. Exactly. <laughs> I like this book because it is the pictures are fantastic. The photographs are great. But... Um, and I, I like the background information. It's all on one page, and it's pretty simple. And um, I, I really like it. And it's, it, like you said, Gary, it fits in the back pocket, and uh, it's pretty nice to, to walk out. Uh, a lot of our school teachers pick, this, pick up a book of this, and uh, it's nice to use in the classroom, like Giant Foxtail. I know you're looking at that. Yeah, yeah we always call it, and, and honestly, I didn't know what they were called. We always called them Foxtail because that's yep. what they look like. There's, there's yeah. about ten different, there's right. green and giant and... Uh, but there's so many different kinds, and uh, you know the key to to really controlling weeds is like we've always talked about, whether it's weeds or insects or whatever or disease. We want to make sure that we identify it first, so that we're using the right herbicide to control the right plant or the right weed and um, wild carrot. Um, yeah, they're always so pretty out in the in the woods and everything, but they're yeah. they can be a little bit of a problem for you they're always nice in that white uh, uh flower it's when they start to go to seed uh if you ever walk through them they can really be a irritant to your skin right that's for sure and you know we often speak about poison ivy and it, it goes through there and we talk about giant ragweed so many people have allergies i, I wanted to mention this too and so now, i've always heard about ragweed but it's I, a, I don't think i've I mean, I don't know that I'm allergic to anything like that. Oh, I, I don't can, think I've ever really identified it. It is just everywhere in these in these road ditches. These are those plants that get so tall. Mm-hmm. And in fact, many of these plants, we're starting to find some resistance to. A lot of people used Roundup or glyphosate to control them. And we're finding that we've used it so much and for so long that uh, many of these plants have been, they've selected themselves out so that they're resistant to some of those herbicides and and so, and, and many of them are pretty. I mean, oh, they really are. They've got some yep. beautiful colors. Yep, yep. Um, but boy, they sure cause a lot of problems. They sure can. That's exactly right. Gary, we were talking a little bit about ponds. You know, when we went to break, we were talking about weeds. A lot of there's a lot of books on the on the uh, on the market, but just to just to share this with you, it's called Pond Life, and it's put out. It's a golden guide from St. Martin's Press. I really like this little book. It's uh, about $6.95, and you can get it locally usually. But I just think it's a fantastic little book. I will also say that Iowa State University has a number of nice publications on ponds. But this is one that I really like and would encourage teachers to give some thought to maybe adding it to the to the um, to their reference guide, but it goes through for pond life. It talks about birds that enjoy ponds. It talks about, of course, ducks, a little bit on snakes and some of the snakes that we'll find in our common Midwestern ponds here in this area, along with turtles and also frogs and toads and clams and mollusks and also insects that we can find in the ponds. And then, of course, a little bit on 
on uh, animals and also on plants. And I might so, have to read up a little bit on that because I see those little spiders that, that exactly. shoot across the water. And every once in a while, we'll, we'll get them in the pool. Yeah. And uh, yeah. They, they will bite. Exactly. Exactly. And I never knew what they were. There's all kinds of those. I'm that, have to read up. On it's that. a great little reference book. It's called Pond Life, and uh, this one's a, they, they just updated this book not too long ago. And again, for six dollars and ninety five cents, it's just a wonderful reference. And I like to keep it on my desk because there's just some really good facts and good pictures in it. Very nice color pictures and just a little bit of a write up on it. And you can look at all those different kinds of insects. Um. We're kind of jumping around. I have to ask you, uh, have you had any uh, oddities this year? Uh, ah. Insects. Ah, think about that one. I mean, we used to be pretty good at it around yeah. here. Yeah. But a lot of our I remember of vegetation uh, exactly. has been cut down uh, around here. And uh, so we don't see the insects that we did. But we used to come up with something. It seemed like that every other week. I remember you guys. I tell you, this year I think we've had less of that. Um, it's been so dry. Exactly. That's exactly right, Gary. I haven't seen near the, near the crickets. We haven't seen near the grasshoppers uh, that we usually do. We're still waiting for the Asian lady beetles to show up. We did have more than enough Japanese beetles to, to <coughs> do a lot of damage to a lot of our fruit trees. Um, but it's um, been a pretty quiet year so and far. And it was a locust year. It was a locust year. Our, That's right. Uh, That's right. Are they called locusts? Cicadas. Cicadas, exactly, right. exactly. Same lodge, different local. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Gary, one of the, I wanted to mention before, uh, before you make us go to break here, I'm just kidding, but on the, I, this is kind of jumping around, but fits in with what you're talking about. On the Iowa State University Extension webpage, and I, I've kind of mentioned this before a little bit, and our website is www.extension.iastate.edu. Up in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a, 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 a box that you can click on, and it'll say, Ask a Question. And what you can do with our new website is you can actually uh, type in your question. They will ask you your location and your county. And if you have an image, they'll ask you to load that image on there. And then you can send it on up to Iowa State University, and you'll get an answer back in about um, usually in a couple hours or Okay, we'll or a review day. that when we get back, but uh, we've got to take a break here. Word from Iowa State University. We'll be right back. October is the perfect month for planting spring flowering bulbs. And to make sure we're doing it right, I've got Dr. Cindy Haynes from ISU with me. And first of all, Cindy, what type of bulb should we select? Well, really, it depends on what type of bulbs you want in your garden or what colors of types of flowers you want in your garden. They're all great. Personally, I like daffodils a little better than tulips because they last longer. They're more of a long-lasting perennial in your garden. Mm -hmm. But try some of the more unusual bulbs, too. Go for the ornamental onions or the hyacinths or this fritillaria, which smells really bad, <laughs> yeah, really skunky, but it, uh -huh. it's not bothered by you know deer or rabbits. So that skunky flavor, smell and flavor keeps things away. Mm -hmm. When you're selecting bulbs, make sure you select things that are large. The larger the bulb, the better, because you get better bloom that way. Um, and also kind of feel them. Make sure there aren't any soft spots or any places with there, where there might be some rot. 
Okay. Now you've brought quite the arsenal of tools here. Mm -hmm. Is, are all these necessary? No, they're not all necessary. Once again, um, you cho choose the tools that you like or are most comfortable with. Okay. Um, the important thing is to get it to the proper depth. And whether you do that with a single bulb planter, um, a bulb planter on, that you can use with your foot, or you can use an auger that you can actually attach to your drill. Um, any of those will work and get you to the proper depth. Personally, once again, I just like a garden trowel or a shovel. Wrong. Yeah, can't go wrong with it. Okay. Now, what about the growing conditions? Most bulbs prefer full sun and a well-drained soil. So as long as you meet those conditions, you're in good shape. And when you're planting your bulbs, plant many of them. Plant a lot. Plant a dozen of the small ones, two or three or four of, of the other ones. Then you have a better impact. Okay. A nice burst of color in the spring. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks. And if you would like more information on bulbs, be sure to log on to GardeningInTheZone.com. I'm Liz Gelman. KSB Bank has been in existence since 1868, proudly serving our customers. We have strong roots and a history of providing excellent service to generations. So if you need banking products and services, stop in at one of our four convenient locations and let our dedicated employees work with you to start your money growing. KSB Bank, member FDIC. Strength you can bank on now and in the future. Oops, we broke the recorder. Paul will be back next week, but he wants you to know that now is the perfect time to replace that lawn that our hot, dry summer took a bite out of. Gate City Seed has the best selection at unbeatable bulk prices of our area's lawn grass seeds, and they lend seeders free. Come to Gate City Seed, 824 Main Street in Keokuk. And we're back with Let's Get Going. We're going to wrap things up here. We've got a couple of minutes, but I want to give you the 800 number for uh, mm -hmm. the extension office, which is 800-211-9328. If uh, you need, a, need to get a hold of the extension office, it's 800-211-9328. And uh, looking through our handy-dandy little pocketbook here, our water strider. S T R I D E R S water striders. That's the spiders I was uh, referring to earlier, and they do bite. I've um, been lucky to avoid that. I think, Gary. <laughs> so well, when we'd seen uh, crawdads and that, you'd always right. get them in the in the crawdads, and you're down there, you know, right with your hands, and they'll get on the back of your hand. They'll they'll get you. Doesn't feel too good. Interesting. Interesting, Gary. I'll have to see if I can't run across a couple and bring them out and let them bite you and see you'll experience Well, I think I'll pass it. I've had <laughs> I, I've had just about every other bite and been lucky on that one. So <laughs> Well they will get on. I, I can I understand. Hey, I wanted to mention a couple of things really quick. Um, isn't that a great book, first it of all? It is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of things. If you are a school teacher or a a Sunday school teacher or you enjoy doing some outdoor activities, take a look at um, SARE grants. And I'm going to spell this. It's S-A-R-E. Um, there are what we call Youth and Youth Educator Sustainable Agriculture Grants. They're for youth, ages 8 to 18, and also youth educators. And um, this is a very, very good program. The grants are very small, about $2,000 or less, but there's quite a few. And so if you enjoy doing some outdoor things or doing some projects, take a look at those types of grants. Again, that's S-A-R-E. Do a search, do a Google search, and it'll come right up. Okay, thank you. And um, 
we're out of time already. It just seems like it went yeah. pretty quick. I don't know what happened. I think it gets shorter every time, Gary. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. The world just keeps on a spinning, and we, we keep doing what we do. Anyway, we want to thank everybody for tuning in each Saturday morning at 720 on KOKX AM 1310. From all of us here at KOKX Studios at 108 Washington, thanks for listening.